0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. My name is Aaron, aka The Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left, as always, is my Nottinghamshire-based but Yorkshire-supporting co-host, Mr. Matt Wiley. So Matt, first things first, mate, thank you very much for coming back onto the podcast. It has been quite a while since we actually reconvened to have a chat about crickets. I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far?
1: Yeah, i has been really good. Thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a uh, nice day to recover, really, from uh, what's been a fairly intense period of uh, one day of cricket. And of course, after the uh, slightly nerve wracking final day of wait to see who qualified, but uh, of course, we're not going to talk about who's qualified or who, or rather, who's not qualified, are we?
0: Yeah, thankfully not. So, although, for those who aren't aware, yeah, the Bears kind of threw away the chance, but. It is what it is. That is the trials and tribulations of the Royal London One Day Cup. It's been quite the competition, though, hasn't it? I must say we've been treated to some excellent games of cricket, some brilliant performances from players both young and old. The One Day Cup in 2022 really has been quite the tournament. And if the knockout rounds are in that similar vein of quality, we are in for an excellent conclusion to this year's competition. But before we get into today's show, actually, which we'll be previewing and covering, the upcoming quarterfinals on Friday, the 26th of August. Let's just have a quick look at how the group stages actually panned out by looking at the tables. So starting with Group A, Sussex topped the group on 12 points. In second were Leicestershire, also on 12 points, but with a slightly inferior net run rate. In third were Nottinghamshire on 10 points. In fourth and fifth, respectively, were Middlesex and Gloucestershire, also on 10 points, but with a lower net run rate. In 6th, agonisingly missing out on the chance to reach the quarterfinals with my county of Warwickshire on 9 points. In 7th was Surrey on 5 points. In 8th was Somerset on 2 points. And in ninth and bottom place of Group A were Durham after finishing on 0 points. Then, looking at Group B, Hampshire topped Group B after winning 7 of their 8 matches, finishing on 14 points and dominating the group. To say the very least, they were brilliant out the entirety of that group stage campaign. Then in second were Lancashire on 11 points. In third were Kent on 9 points. In fourth and fifth were Glamorgan and Yorkshire respectively, both on 8 points apiece. In sixth were Essex on 7 points. In seventh were Derbyshire on 5 points. In eighth were Northamptonshire on 4 points. And in bottom, ninth place of Group B were Worcestershire County Cricket Club, also on 4 points, but with an inferior net run rate. So... The group stages are done and dusted. It was fantastic, I must say. I've thoroughly enjoyed the group stages of this year's competition. But all of our attention now shifts. The focus is now on the knockout rounds of the 2022 Royal London One Day Cup. And first and foremost, we start with the quarterfinals. These are taking place on Friday the 26th of August. In quarter-final one, we've got the Leicestershire Foxes taking on the Kent Spitfires. At the Upton Steel County Ground in Leicester. Then, in quarterfinal two, we've got the Lancashire Lightning taking on the Nottinghamshire Outlaws at Stanley Park in Blackpool, which should be a very, very interesting affair, as we'll discuss as today's podcast gets underway. Then, on Tuesday, the 30th of August, with an 11 o'clock start, we've got the semi finals, starting with semi final one, which will see Sussex take on the winner of the Lancashire versus Notts game at the 1st Central County Ground in Hove. And then we have semi-final two, which will see Hampshire face the winner of the Leicestershire versus Kent game at the Aegeus Bowl in Southampton. The winners of those respective games will face off against one another on Saturday, the 17th of September, in the final itself at Trent Bridge in Nottingham. So this is really looking quite interesting, isn't it, Matt? And just looking at the quarter finalists, first and foremost... I know that you do work for Nottinghamshire, and obviously there will be that allegiance and that, that leaning towards the East Midlands-based county, but out of these four teams which are competing in the knockouts, which of these four teams do you think has the best chance of actually winning this year's One Day Cup?
1: You're absolutely right about that little illusion that I might give you. And to be honest, my viewpoint is that it's so close that I might just throw in, do you know what? I'm going to say I think Lancashire have got the best chance. I do think that it's a very close second between them and Nottingham. I think that it's almost a little bit of a shame that that, that one of those is going to go out so early because I think they could both be worthy finalists. But I think that just on the basis of how good, certainly I would probably make them just favourites at Blackpool for reasons that we can obviously come on to. And then I think that now I suppose the interesting one is for the final. By the time that the hundreds finish, will they or will they not bring the players back? That's another debate we can have another time. But if they do, then I mean obviously that makes them superior favourites. Certainly over, you'd have to say probably if they they knock out not virtually anyone apart from Hampshire, everyone apart from Hampshire. So I think yeah, they've they've got the best chance of making the semi-finals, and I think their squad depth and the fact that they just you just look at them and think when they can get even stronger, I think you've got to give them a very, very big chance of doing so of being well.
0: Well, to be honest, mate, I, I, I tend to agree. I really do think the Red Rose of Lancashire look very, very strong this summer, across all formats, to be completely honest. But in the one-day cup, they haven't relied on one player necessarily, have they? There's been contributions, that, that batting line-up, and of course in the bowling department as well, They just look like a really well-oiled machine and that will definitely suit them and be in their favour heading into the rest of this year's competition. May I also just throw in another team? And I mentioned this side on the second review show with Paige, actually. Leicestershire, do you fancy the Foxes to be an outside shout at winning the competition this year? They've got plenty of firepower up the top with the likes of Nick Welsh, Scott Steele, Rishi Patel. Louis Kimber, Aaron Lilly as a finisher. Vion Mold has been outstanding as well. And then they've got some experienced bowlers, the likes of Baron Hendricks, Chris Wright, to name but a couple. Do you fancy the Foxes as being dark horses for this year's One Day Cup?
1: I can definitely see them as dark horses, yeah. I mean, the 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 character that they've shown, especially, And, I mean, that was really on display in the last game that they played, um the final round of the group stage where they came back from that pretty parallel position against Durham. I think they were probably, what was it 60 for six or something? And then Spot on. They had a massive partnership um, to, to win. I think they won by two wickets in the end, but essentially that seven wicket partnership won them the game. And that character and that kind of, you know, grit and, you know, they were ahead of the way. They didn't have to take any silly way. And that's kind of what, you know, when, when you can show that and, you know, dig in and Prove yourself under that kind of pressure, and you know it's a cliche, isn't it? But under pressure, diamonds are made, and that kind of that kind of stuff. um So you know, yeah, they, they've certainly shown their mental fortitude, and like you said, they've got plenty of quality in there. Um, that you know, their, to be honest, mate, I'm not going to write anyone off out of those six that are qualified. I, I think I don't. There's, there's no one in there that immediately says, "Oh, well, what are you doing here?" So I think you know they've all earned the chance on merit, and they've all got an opportunity now.
0: They certainly have. I think you've articulated that quite well, to be honest, mate. And just going back to that uh, that Diamonds quote, you don't want to drive to survive, do you? That sounded very Lance Stroll. Oh, I do want drive
1: to survive. Has that, that come out of that? Is it? I did yeah. Oh, there they, you go. I it without knowing it.
0: <laughs> we got Lance Stroll in the house tonight, but no, getting back, onto, <laughs> getting back onto track. Again, no drive to survive pun related there. But let's start then with quarterfinal one, which we'll actually see. Leicester should take on Kent at Grace Road. So, looking at the form guide of these two teams, Leicestershire finished second in Group A, having played eight matches, won six, lost two, but crucially, they won four out of their last five games. Three of these taking place at Grace Road itself, so they're a very, very strong home side. Kent, meanwhile, won four games, lost three, and had won no result. But, and this is the crucial thing for Kent fans, something to lift the mood a bit they were unbeaten in their last four games three wins and one no result so kent's really do have a very good chance as well this is the battle of the two form teams in this year's quarter final so matt looking at this game we mentioned already the the power and the quality that leicester should possess and then you've got kent's again they've got some excellent players haven't they with the likes of ollie robinson alex blake ben compton the man, the myth, the legend himself, Darren Stevens, who we'll touch upon in a bit more detail in due course. How do you see this game playing out, and what are the key battles, key matchups, and the key players that we should be looking out for heading into this encounter?
1: I think the first one that you've really got to look at for on the leicester side of things might be Van Mulder. He's been a really, really good, obviously, and and again, it underlined the importance of. The counties like Leicester this year that have to you know they've got less opportunity to get that overseas pick right because you know your you richer county can just in theory you know they, they can probably have one or two oh well that didn't work we'll go and get someone else in in the middle of July Leicester you know have much less scope to do that and they've absolutely got it right with Vian Mulder he's been a really really good all-formats player he can bat he can bowl he you know he's Strong in the field, he's a really, really well rounded player, and you know, he's their leading run scorer in the competition so far. So, I think you've definitely got to look to him. Uh, you mentioned Ollie Robinson, of course, without a doubt. I mean, I'm happy to be corrected, but I'm gonna say the only double century in this year's competition.
0: It was until Ali or scored one in Taunton.
1: It was until Ali or scored one in Taunton. Very good. And so, one he's of the only Kent
0: player, he's the only Kent player to score. There you a go. Well, we'll
1: check that. Um, the only Kent player to score a double century. Um, so, you know, he's coming in in, uh, in a rich vernet form, isn't he? And I think that is, you know, as long as you've got that batter, especially that middle order batter, who can be the glue, who can who you can build an innings around. Because obviously in one day cricket, you've got that kind of, you know, you don't want to shoot off, you, you know, all, all bets are off everything. You don't want to go mental from ball one because you still have to, you know, get through, there can still be a sticky period to get through, you know, it's a long innings, it's not like T20 where you're just just teeing off every opportunity you get, you do have to take the, you know, kind of dig in and as long as you've got that person who can be there throughout those and provide the support to the players who are a little bit more willing to, to tee off, then that's really important and so I think on the batting side of those, you've definitely got those two. Um, on the bowling side, I mean, I don't think you can really, for Leicester, I don't think you can really look past Chris Wright, can you? Um, just bags and bags of experience. He bowled beautifully when he um, when I saw him against Nottingham. He got a 6-4. And it's just not only as he took the wickets as well, he keeps the run rate down, which again, you know, it's, it's almost a mix, isn't it? It's like, you know, in first-class cricket, wickets are king. You know, it, it's all about taking the wickets for a bowler. And you know, if you get if you have to pitch it up and you get hit for a few runs, it doesn't really matter because the innings are so long. But obviously, in one day cricket, you don't want to you, you've almost got to get in the balance of you want to take wicket, but you also don't want to concede too many runs. You you need to be a bit more of a skillful bowler. And I think he's used his experience to show that he's been, you know, all around the, all around the country. You'll remember him from being at Warwickshire, of course. Yeah, you win you the title. I seem to remember that he.
0: Yes, him and Keith Barker. Absolute yeah. legends. Lovely blokes as well. Had okay. them both on the podcast. Shout out to both King Keith and, and Righty. Lovely, lovely fellas.
1: There you go. Uh, and then just one other person that I, I want to bring to as well, Bjorn Hendrick. He's not played all the games because he's been uh, involved in the 100, but he's back and he's a massive boost for should definitely. Um, he played quite a part with... I mean, he's in the side, obviously, as a bowler, uh, another overseas player, but he is... Um, he, this, party played with the bat yesterday, um, against Durham to get them over the line there. So just that, you know, that that experience at the tail end of the innings and obviously what you can almost view the quarterfinal and the, the knockout stage as a whole, it's the tail end of the tournament, isn't it? It's where the pressure, you know, the, the if the pressure's on towards the end of an innings, each innings in the root stage, then the pressure's on throughout the whole innings because we're at the end of the tournament now. So it's um, you, you're going to need that experience, and that is what Chris Wright will be able to deliver, and that is what Bjorn Hendricks will be able to deliver, and I think that's what makes Leicestershire a very, very strong team, especially, like you said, they're at home as well.
0: Well, let's start with Leicestershire first and foremost, then, and you mentioned VR Mulder, the fifth leading run scorer in this year's competition so far, with 452 runs, At a frightening average of 90.4, he's also taken 13 wickets at 26.07. He's Leicestershire's third leading wicket-taker. If he tees off in that middle order alongside an Aaron Lilly, for example, as we saw in yesterday's game against Durham, Leicestershire have got a chance of really racking up some big runs, haven't they? And that will be crucial in particular if they bat first on home soil in front of that home crowd in a pressure situation. You want runs on the board, in particular at Grace Road. But it's interesting you mentioned Chris Wright and Matt, this is going to be one of my major talking points about this particular quarterfinal. How important is it, in your opinion, for both of these teams to get early wickets in power play one? Both have got very, very strong top orders. And as you saw firsthand in the Knots game, with Brett Hutton taking seven, Chris Wright taking six, it's important to get early breakthroughs on this grace road surface, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is, because I think that grace road surface doesn't, always tell you the full story when you look at it it's obviously even if it first it can maybe appear a little bit green and look like it might do something that's not always the case and especially with it being it will still be a fast outfield. i know we've had a little bit of rain you know certainly since the baking dry point of the summer when balls were whizzing to the boundary but it is still it will still be rapid um and it, it's you know it's a small ground so the boundary is always close Um, I know, obviously, for for a game like this, it's it's highly likely that the pitch will be as close to the centre of the square as they can make it. But, you know, even with that in mind, you know, yeah, the boundary is still close. And so, yeah, you've got to get, you've got to make sure that you're getting rid of those danger men at the top order in both camps, because what you really don't want is one batter kind of allowing himself to start to, you know, afford him the confidence to take on. I think that's more crucial. You don't, Kent don't want to allow Leicester left- that opportunity because they will take it faster. You know, they know that ground and they know just the little, you know, the, the things that the away team don't know. You know, like we always used to say, for example, um, like, Um, I'll use Alex Hale for an example. He always, when he was playing for England, he always did very, very well at Crentbridge because you know it so well. You know just where that shorter boundary is or just what ball needs to be pitched to take it away and, you know, just, just those tiny little things. So I think that's more important on Kent's side that they don't want to allow Leicestershire to get themselves in.
0: Well, I'd agree with that, to be honest, Matt. And and something else on this surface, aside from key breakthroughs early on, you want to be getting those power play wickets in the first 10 overs. Something which I don't think has been picked up on, actually, at Grace Road so far this year, is the importance of spin bowlers. And I want to know your opinion on this. So I spoke with, with, with Paige about this, actually, at quite some length on the second review show. It is an underrated art form on that Leicester surface because... You look back to that game, and yes, Chris Wrightens and, and Brett Hutton took the plaudits, didn't they? With a six for and a seven for, respectively. But Fatty Singh and Liam Patterson White took three wickets between themselves at an economy rate below six runs and over. I think back to the, the Bears game as well. Louis Kimber took a couple of wickets, Cronel Pandia took three. Kent have got Hamadullah Kadri in that bowling attack. He is the club's leading wicket taker so far in this tournament with 12 wickets and a 5.84 economy rate. In this department, Kent's have got the advantage, haven't they? Over the Foxes.
1: I think they have, yeah. And obviously that is because, you know, Leicestershire can point to the fact that Callum Parkinson is away. Um, but you know, that that's on that's on Leicestershire. You know, Kent have took the advantage of being able to have Hamadullah Cadre. And like you said, yeah, um Fata Singh and Liam Patterson I mean Patterson why you know, we'll, no doubt will come on to him. But that control and that skill of the spin bowling, um, not in the power play. I mean, you, you want you want your quick bowlers bowling in the power play, but I think it, it, it's, once it gets into the middle order and into the middle over, you want a spin bowler to be able to tie down an end. And Kadri can definitely do that because he's, he doesn't like you know, he's he's a slow, he, he is a properly slow bowler, isn't he? He doesn't, he, he relies on that control and that sort of guile. And that is, you know, he, he can, Basically hold down and end for an extended period of time, which will be really crucial, and especially it keeps the batting team on the toes. And it's I think it will be perfect for combating that man who is attempting to form who is attempting to form the glue and the platform of the middle order and the middle overs. And if he's constantly kept guessing, he's not quite your then the people he's attempting to provide support to won't exactly be sure. And then that's where you can really get amongst them.
0: Well, the Canons, and hamidullah has been fantastic, hasn't he? He really has been brilliant for Kent so far this summer. Runs again, if he gets going, yes, the, the onus, the emphasis will be on same bowlers, as it has been so far throughout this tournament. But the spinners in this game, they're going to be the unsung heroes. In particular, as you said, Matt, during those middle overs, just applying the pressure, tightening that metaphorical screw, not allowing the run rate to get out of control. And if he can pick up a couple of wickets, Kent will fancy their chances. They really will. And another massive boost for Kent before we get on to our predictions for this quarter final and our thoughts on how we think this game will actually go. We can't talk about Kent County Cricket Club without mentioning the great man himself, can we? Darren, Ian Stevens, he played his last ever List Day game in a Kent shirt in Canterbury yesterday. Scored 49 in that game against Lanks. And isn't this just almost poetic? that this could potentially be his last game. Potentially. If Kent go through, his last game could be either on the South Coast or indeed in Nottingham come September. But the fact that he's going to be playing at the club which he debuted for all the way back in 1997 is pretty special, isn't it, to be honest, Matt? I mean, for us as county fans, it just puts a grin on your face and you can't help but smile because Steve-O is a hero of the entire county circuit. Aside from the, I suppose the specialness of this moment for Steve though, he's also going to be a very key player, isn't he? For this Kent outfit heading into this crunch match. Yeah,
1: he is. Um, I mean his experience is, well, quite literally second to none, isn't it? You know, that's that, that's exactly what you you want out of a player like that to be able to provide just, you know, if, if they're a little bit unsure at ever any point, if you know, if they're ever a little bit if, if the captain ever wants a little bit of advice or you know what oh, I could do with a bit of, um, you know, just a bit of support or what do you think? Um, He will be there to provide that wisdom. And the fact that it's at Leicestershire, um, which again, you know, I know it's a while since he's played there. It's a really long time since he's played there, but it hasn't changed much, has it? It's a very, um, it's a a very classic ground and it won't, you know, he he will know plenty plenty about it. Um, So that will aid Kent in, Sort of equaling um their what you might consider a deficit from the fact that they're away. Um but yeah, I mean it, it is it's it feels like it's one of those things that's written in the stars, isn't it? I mean, is it written in the stars that Kent are going to lose and he's gonna play his last ever list day game at the place where he first started, or is it written in the stars? that they're going to beat Leicester which is the place where he started and then they're going to go on to win the competition. So, you know, it's it's how you interpret it, isn't it? But no, he will be, I won't say for quality on the field, I think there's probably, you'd have to agree that there's probably more notable players that are going to have a cricketing impact. But yeah, it's just that experience, that, you know, old head on old shoulders, wisdom level of just that that he can impart on the skipper, on the rest of the team, when he's batting, yeah, that is the value that he provides, and he will provide it, I have no doubt.
0: Yeah, to be honest, Matt, I completely agree with that. You cannot beat experience, and Darren Stevens has experience by the absolute bucket load. So, if you're a Kent fan, obviously you'll be hoping that it's the latter of those two scenarios, that Kent do advance and, you know, win the semi-final and potentially win the entire competition, but... Looking at this game, Matt. Before we talk about lengths versus knots, if you had to give a prediction, if you had to choose one winner from this first quarter final, which of these two counties would you choose?
1: I would choose Leicestershire. Um, I genuinely would. I think, yeah that that home advantage will be massive. Um, as much as I've mentioned Darren Stevens may be able to negate that a little, I think they still have the firm advantage Leicestershire still have the firm advantage in that department. I think a player like Vian Mulder, who's been in really good form. I think a team like Leicestershire that have can have been in good form leading up to this, But Leicestershire, you know, they won five of the first six. They really they were the pace setters in the group, really, weren't they? in, in the they were top of the, you know, they were top of the table for I think four, four, or five games, you know, in a row, they, they really set the ball rolling when it came to this competition. So they've clearly got their formula and got their strategy and it's worked for them this year. Um, I know obviously when I tipped up the year, it didn't go quite to plan for them, but there's always one or two games where it doesn't quite go to plan. And I think they've had that. I think that was their game where it didn't go to plan. So I think As good as Kent are, and the quality that they have, you know, Robinson, Cadbury, stevens they really do have some quality. It's going to be a tight game, but I do think Leicestershire will just come out on top.
0: To be honest, Matt, I would agree. I've also gone with the Leicestershire Foxes, but there's one player in that Kent team who I think could just tip the scales, actually. And this might come as a little bit of a surprise, depending on, on I suppose, who you support. But I think Alex Blake might just be a difference maker. In this game, you know, he loves pace on the ball and Grace Road has been one of those venues where it has been seemed to win as opposed to spin to win. So I just feel like if Kent are going to win, they're going to need some top order runs from the likes of Ben Compton, for example. Ollie Robinson's another one. But I just think with the power hitting capabilities of Alex Blake, he could potentially shift it. I'm still going to go with the Foxes, but again, I do think we've got quite the blockbuster on our hands on Friday the 26th of August. In the East Midland City of Leicester. And talking of blockbuster, mouthwatering, salivating clashes, let's head up to the northwest. Let's go to Stanley Park in Blackpool, which is where Lancashire County Cricket Club will take on Nottinghamshire in what promises to be an absolute thriller of a quarter final on the northwestern coast. So looking at the form guide, Lancs have won three out of their last five matches. Crucially though, They beat North Ants in a 742-run fest on this very ground, in which they successfully chased down 370 runs within the space of just 48.2 overs. Conversely, Notts have won three out of their last five matches. So, in terms of the form guide, these two are exactly the same. It's just like Kent and Leicestershire, actually. But I think with this match, it's at an outground which is going to make it very interesting. And for those who don't know, Stanley Park, Lightning Fast Outfield, pretty flat wickets, small boundaries. This has got 350 plus score written all over it as long as you can bat sensibly. Matt, looking at this game, what are the key battles, the key matchups and the key players that we should be looking out for from both a Lancashire and a Nottinghamshire perspective?
1: Well, I can start with Nottinghamshire can that seems as logical place to begin as anywhere um i think well the the, the key batter to start with is absolutely has supermead who has been in really good form um he's got uh, a century already he got uh, 99 out um in that game against Leicestershire um he's got uh, got 50 uh, against us yep. yeah very he's, good
0: knock as well, might I just really, say. Good,
1: really good? Um, and he's I, th- I think he's considered a little bit unfairly at this sort of red ball, kind of very slow dig in type character. Uh, and he's got that in his locker, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's in this white ball team on on merit and on his ability. And you know, I mean, at he got his 50 off for 40 40 something balls, so it's you know, he's, he's able to up his run rate if needed. Um so he's gonna be quite crucial. Um and then I think from the bowling aspect you've just got Liam Patterson White. Um I mean Brett hutton is definitely worth a mention and is the leading is not his leading wicket taker um so, so far in the tournament. But Liam Patterson White is just he's coming on just leaps and bounds. Um he's just everything that he seems to do this summer just it just just looks so good. He's so he's, he's very calm. He took a cotton ball yesterday and summed it. was actually quite a difficult chance, quite a difficult cotton ball, and it was hit quite hard at him. And he just gently pounced and just lobbed it back to the umpire just one-handed. He's he's, he's got you know he he doesn't seem to show that much emotion on the field. He just goes about his job and he's so good at it. And it's really really been very good to watch him. So he will be crucial. The fact that it's an outground could negate him slightly, because obviously spinners at an outground can sometimes struggle with shorter boundaries, you know, there's more scope that you can be hit, but I think if he does struggle, and maybe if uh, Fatih Singh does struggle as well in that similar regard, then you've just got to look to the seamers, you've just got to look to the likes of Brett Houghton. Um, Dane Patterson, who will probably who will be the experienced head in that ball and attack, it's it's a very, it offers a lot, that bowling attack, it's very, it's quite varied. Um and it's pretty good as well. So yeah, I think you've got to look at the bowling attack as a whole for not, but then specifically a super mood and um not forgetting as well Ben Slater who got eighty odd not out against uh, Surrey and has a list day average. I think it's second only to Sam Hui. It's definitely not for fifty though. No, I know that
0: it is. It it is. Still below Virat Kohli's average, he's not quite in the in the top three just yet. So I think Michael Bevan rounds out the top three, but yeah, Ben Slater does have an average of over fifty. Matt Montgomery as well, average of forty eight. I mean, he's yeah. had quite the start to to List A cricket. So yeah, that Notts team very yeah. powerful, aren't they?
1: Very actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah, Matt Matt's an interesting one actually because he he admitted himself that he hadn't had the start he wanted um, to this season uh, to this season competition. But since then, I mean, yeah, he got. Um, uh, he got 50 at Leicester. Uh, i didn't, didn't get a bat against Surrey, unfortunately, but yeah, he's uh, he's, he's a really good fielder as well, actually. Is Matt Montgomery? He's, he's you know, he, he I don't think I've seen him drop much to be honest. On if anything, nothing comes to mind. I've seen him drop, and he, he's very sharp, he's very aware, he's very agile. So, I think, yeah, um, and he, he can bowl a little bit when needed. So, yeah, obviously, he's in the side predominantly of the batter, but I mean, really, you know, fielding. You should be able to field to a competent level. Of course, you can, but if you can take that above and beyond and count fielding among among your main skills, then that's as useful as anything. And you know, if you're saying he's coming into the team, he's got he's coming into the team in good form with the bat, and he's very agile and sharp in the field, then yeah, that makes him among the better players. Absolutely.
0: Well, he is, and again, a very good prospect. He played for the Bears second eleven last year, actually, yeah. as part of the the victorious second yeah. eleven. T20 Cup down in, in Arundel, so I do like what I've seen from Matt Montgomery. And it's funny you mentioned Liam Patterson-White because we mentioned him so many times on this podcast. He is in the TCCP Hall of Fame. He's a lovely fella as well, isn't he, Matt? Brilliant yeah. character and so, so worthy of that England Lions place in, in Chelmsford. But you just look at his stats so far this summer. 126 runs, an average of 42. He's striking at 127.27 and then with the ball in hands, Nottinghamshire's third leading wicket taker with 11 wickets and crucially, a 4.52 economy rate. He's been so shrewd. He showed so much flight, control, guile, discipline, exactly what you want from your slow bowler. And it's funny you mention outgrounds, actually, because I believe this was in the in the first review. No, it was the second review, actually. It was the second week of the competition when they played Durham in Grantham. He took a five didn't he? So Liam Patterson White, with both bats, ball, and in the field, I suppose, is definitely going to be a major player for the Outlaws in this particular encounter. You can um... always
1: tell, I think. To, to be honest, it seems to me that there's quite often you can tell how much a player is worth to a team not by when he played, but when he doesn't, how much they miss him when he doesn't, and how much they missed Liam when he was away with England Lions when. We played Gloucestershire and Bristol and then Middlesex at Grantham. The first, the first of the two games we played at Grantham, um, you could just tell how much they were missing him. And Fatih Singh did as well as he could, but he has been such a revelation and such a really, really good player that you could definitely think, we need a bit of Liam here right about now. We need a bit of Liam Patterson-White. And then, like you say, he came back and uh, took a five for him.
0: Yeah, and his first game back from the Lions as well. Just, again, great player. Definitely someone yeah, to watch so. out for across formats, to be honest, heading into the future. And talking to someone who has had an incredibly impressive tournament so far with the ball in hand, Brett the Hitman Hutton. 19 wickets. He is the leading wicket-taker in this year's competition alongside Sussex's Ari Carvelas. He's taken his wickets, an average of 13.89. And obviously, we've already spoken about the seven for But in this game, up in Blackpool, it's going to be so important to get early wickets in the power play. On a high-scoring ground, you've got to stem the flow of runs as soon as possible. Matt, in terms of what you've seen from Brett so far this summer, what has made him so dangerous and so potent in this Nottinghamshire attack?
1: I think he's one of those very few players that can extract a bit of movement out of the white ball. Um, I did see that off the surface at Grace World, actually. he's, You know, it's... Common knowledge that that white ball, does, that the white ball does not move as much as the red ball. But there are players. I mean, you know, if you look to the international arena, David Willie's probably one of the most proficient people.
0: Bhuvaneshwar Kumar as well. Can't forget yes. him.
1: Bhuvaneshwar Kumar of India. You know, any, anybody who can swing a white ball, you know, really, is really good. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't hoop it around corners. He's not, you know, Jimmy Anderson. But he, he was extracting just a little bit of movement and. He gets quite a few of his wickets from nicks behind. You know, he can he can build that pressure and he can encourage, he can induce that nick. He's quite good at doing that. He's quite good at moving because he's not the fastest. Eh? He's not got the most aesthetically pleasing action either. It seems almost quite. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say chuck it. I'm not saying that because he doesn't chuck it. He Absolutely doesn't. But it, it does seem a little bit almost. Laboured. He does kind of he doesn't approach the crease in the fastest way. it he it, it, it uses his art. His, his left arm for a lot of balance, and then he he just his action is. I can't really describe it to you. The, the, the best thing I can say really is just go and have a look. Go go and have a look at the highlights, and you you can just go and see what you make of it. Because yeah, it's it, it's not. I don't want to call it ugly, but it's not beautiful. But it is effective. It really is effective. It's effective in getting that movement off the surface and finding the edge of the bat. And that's what makes him so dangerous. Because, to be honest, I didn't think he was much of a wicket-taking bowler. I thought he was the thin bowler that kind of held down an end. And I think more in the Championship he is. He holds down an end and he lets Luke Fletcher, Dan Patterson, Jimmy Pattinson take the w- be the ones that kind of steam in full-blooded and take the wicket. But he's been the... You know, in the absence of Fletcher, in the absence of patton who's obviously not playing in this tournament, has he? He has kind of stepped up to be one of the most senior, one of the more wicket taking bowlers, and you know he's he's done that really really well. He takes the new ball, and he's almost allowed the younger players, the likes of Toby Patman, to take the role of bowling well and tying an end down while he takes the wicket. And I think that's very crucial that you know he can change his role in the team so well and he's such a he's he's a very he he understands the game very very well he's very quiet he's very well spoken but he's very he, he knows he knows the game he understands the game very well and again you know like like a darren stevens he to have that level of knowledge in your team He's really, really good. He You know, fields mid on. he feels um, at mid-on. He's right there watching what the ball's doing, even when, he's not, even when he's not bowling. And he knows exactly what's going on. And if something's not right, what needs to change. He's a very useful asset, I think.
0: Well, he most certainly is, Matt. And again, if he can utilise that wicket-taking prowess to get some early power play wickets for the Outlaws, they will definitely fancy their chances of coming away from the northwest with the oh, W right. in hand. Yes,
1: as long as one of those power play with Keaton Jennings, that's all I can say.
0: Well, it's funny you mention Keaton Jennings, actually, because let's go on to our chat about Lancashire and let's talk about their keys to success in this particular game because that opening partnership is quite something, isn't it? Let's be honest, between Keaton Jennings and, and Luke Wells, Luke Wells has scored 278 runs with an average of 397 And then you've got Keaton Jennings, 272 runs, average of 54.4. Jennings is striking at 85. Wells is striking at 115.35, which is quite ludicrous for an opening batter in this year's competition. In terms of those two, if they can lay the foundation for the likes of a Rob Jones, a Stephen Croft, playing at his home venue, that must be so, so, so brilliant for him, mustn't it, as a cricket fan? Brilliant to play at your local club, in knockout cricket, does not get much better than that. Then they've obviously got the likes of George Lavelle as well, Dane Villas coming back into the mix. They've got a really interesting squad dynamic, haven't they, Lanks? Because so far this summer, it's not been a case of a Middlesex, for example, who have had Stephen Eskenazi just dominating from ball one in the competition, or a case of Warwickshire relying so heavily on the likes of Rob Yates and Dom Sibley. It seems with this Lancashire team, they've actually got that perfect balance of having a side which contributes in all departments and contributes pretty equally. They haven't got anyone in the top 10, for example, when it comes to to leading run scorers. But what they have got is consistency throughout the entire batting lineup. And in terms of Luke Wells in particular, Matt, just a few words on how impressive he's been in this campaign so far. I mentioned already the batting stats. He's also Lancashire's second leading wicket-taker, or joint leading wicket-taker I should say, with nine wickets at an average of twenty six point seven seven, he's got to be the big wicket, hasn't he? For knots, and of course, if you're Lanx fan, he's got to go big.
1: I would agree with both of those. Yes, he. I mean, he's he's almost that one that you don't really realise, isn't it? Because everybody, I mean, you know, like 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 I was just saying there, Keaton Jennings is the one who stands out as the big name that you want to get rid of, but you know, Luke Wells is the one that just slips under the radar because people aren't paying him much attention. He's allowed to, you know, he's, he's not considered, if he's, you know, not considered as big as Keaton Jennings, then that gives him more scope to go on and score the run because perhaps teams are target, you know, teams are targeting getting rid of Jennings over getting rid of him when that's not really the ideal way to go about things. Yeah, like you said, he's, he's so valuable to that team. He's just He does everything, and he's another experienced head, isn't he? He does, um, he does everything well. And I think as well, he's trusted to the point that he was bowling. You know, in that um, game against Kent yesterday, that went right down to the wire, he was bowling there right at the death. So that kind of shows you how much they trust him with ball in hand that, you know, he's not just a middle order, tie it down. You know, they're going to let him bowl right at the death, right at the crucial point when the game is being decided that that you know that yeah that is how much they trust him and to me there's no bigger endorsement or example of that confidence that they've placed that they're placing in him that they're letting him do that because they know how good a player he is and you know like like you said he's delivered um on, on that faith quite a number of times so far both with ball and in fact with bat as well
0: he most certainly has, and you know, even to this day, I'm I'm still shocked that Sussex let him go. When there was that massive exodus from the South Coast, the fact that Luke Wells was just allowed to leave so so easily it seemed, it really has been Lancashire's gain and he's been brilliant across all three formats. So Luke Wells definitely does deserve a mention, to be honest, on today's podcast. I think he's had an excellent season in two thousand twenty-two across all three competitions. And just looking at Lancashire's bowling attack, this is really interesting actually. Out of the quarterfinal teams, Lanx have actually got the most economic bowling attack out of any of those four teams. Just one bowler, Jack Blatherwick, has gone at over six runs and over. And even then, he's only gone at 6.94 runs and over. It's not like he's going at 10, 11 runs per over. So, not so going to have quite the, the stern test. I know it's quite a high-scoring venue, is Blackpool, the small boundaries, the fast outfield and the flat wicket. But, again, this Lanx team... They just gel so brilliantly. They've got some real wicket-takers, with the likes of a Luke Wells, for example, a Danny Lamb, a George Balderson, just to name but a few. I really do fancy their chances, and I think that leads me beautifully, actually, into our concluding segment of, of this particular analysis, which is our prediction. I hate to say it, Matt, because you are obviously affiliated with Notts, and you're a massive Yorkshire fan, but in fact, do I hate it? No, I take great pleasure in it, actually. I take great pleasure in saying this. I think that the Lancashire Lightning are going to beat knots. I think you're going to be disappointed on Friday, just as I was disappointed on Tuesday with Warwickshire. So I'm going to go with the Lightning. Lightning will strike twice and they will go through to yet another semi final in this year's whiteboard competitions. And I do think they've got a very strong chance of, of winning the entire thing. I'm guessing that you would you'd agree with me on that, wouldn't you?
1: I I am in agreement with you on that, unfortunately. Yeah. It's um
0: That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I might, um, I might have to screen record this, Matt. My goodness, this is TCCP history.
1: Just blackmail me for it. Yeah, get, um, <laughs> get, get me on video saying Lancashire are going to win. Um, no, I think it, it's a matter of heart versus head, isn't it? And I think, to be honest, you've always... There's, there's definitely occasions where you want to go with your heart, but uh, I think, no, when predictions are... and You know, you, you have to take the, the the data and the the fact into account, don't you? No, I think that it's going to be Lancashire, unfortunately. I said it right at the beginning, didn't I, that it's... Uh, you look at those two, it's gonna be close. There's no doubt at all it's gonna be close. But yeah, that uh, like we said with Leicestershire as well, the home field advantage, the um, Blackpool is not a new venue for Lancashire either. It's they've played three of their four games there, haven't they? So it's yeah, it will be close. Hard fought. Both teams got some really quality players, but I do think ultimately it's just gonna be Lancashire that will squeak it.
0: Interesting. So, actually, we're in agreement on both quarterfinals. I think we are. I think that's TCCP heritage. I really <laughs> do, I don't I do think we've been in agreement on on both games before, no matter the format, to be honest. But, again, even though we are in agreement, so I think it is important to, to just state the fact that this could go any way. Kent's a very strong side, and Knots as well. Someone we haven't even mentioned, Saul Budinger. He's going to love this venue, isn't he? Small boundaries, fast outfield, lots of pace on the ball as well. He'll be an interesting yeah. one.
1: As long as he stays where he is, as long as he bats for longer than ten overs,
0: yeah. Well, exactly, but that is something which which Langs have got to be very wary of because if he does get knots off to a very oh. quick start, yeah. Uh, again, we could be seeing something well in excess of three hundred, if not three fifty, on the board. So, again, this has got the the makings of a brilliant clash. Both of them have the makings of, of potential classics in this year's Royal Under One Day Cup, and yeah, do let us know who do you think will reach the semi-finals of the 2022 Royal London One Day Cup. Feel free to let us know via Twitter at the CounterCricket 2 or via Instagram with the Counter Cricket Podcast, as we are on the podcast description. So please feel free to let us know your opinions on either of those two platforms. But Matt, that is essentially it for today's bumper show. Obviously, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think it's been a very good show. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. As usual, mate. So just before we say our final goodbyes, anything to plug or promote, social media channels, websites, anything like that, mate?
1: Nothing from me, mate. No, no, no. Just, uh, just hopeful that uh, we'll get a couple of, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say a couple of really good quarterfinals. But to be honest, let's just hope for uh, five really good knockout matches from here until the 17th of September.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm just looking forward to it. I really am. I know that my county are out, but... The One Day Cup, it is just—it's so captivating. It's a very engrossing competition, and there's so many you, different permutations as well, aren't there? It's—it's it's really good you cricket.
1: Who do I, I want said, to win? I know you said who you think are, but who do you want to win it?
0: That's an excellent question. I think I might have to save that for the semi-finals. Okay. To be completely honest, it's between two. I'm not going to reveal them just yet, but I think we'll we'll discuss that in more length for the for the semi-final preview. But yeah, I do have my eyes on on two counties in particular. One of them is from the South Coast. That's the only thing that I'll give away for the time being. But that is essentially it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To so each and every single one of you wonderful listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.